This is the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where it's all about getting the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. Brought to you by Inamur Shafir, founder and CEO of Umbrella, the technology platform and brand that is powering thousands of marketing agencies around the country. Find him at UmbrellaUS.com. And now, here's your host, Inamar Shafir. Welcome to the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we talk with successful marketing experts about ways to build and grow your digital marketing agency. Our guest today is a Google Ads maven. More than 200,000 students enrolled in his best-selling marketing courses on Udemy. He is currently the founder and CEO of one of New York's fastest-growing ad agencies, AdVenture, managing over 500 clients from small to millions of dollars of ad budgets. I'm excited to say hello to Mr. Isaac Rodansky. Hi, Isaac. Hey, Tamar, how are you? Thanks for having me on the show today. I'm great, and I'm excited to have you on. Uh, you are a true Google ad expert, but before we jump into it and how we can help the listeners with Google ads for their agency to sell it and maybe to help them get leads for themselves, can you tell us a little bit about your past and how you got into this business? Sure. I actually stumbled into this business back in 2012, 2013. I was trying to figure out a way to get traffic to a website that I made to sell some of my artwork. I was recently married. I was in a master's program. I was trying to make some money on the side. I like to paint. And I was doing art shows all over Long Island, New York, sort of lugging my canvases around. And I thought like, it would be really great if I could sell some of the stuff online. So I made a really quick, simple website. And then after sending my mother and a cousin I was like, okay, well, how am I going to actually get people who might want to buy some of this stuff to the website? And I stumbled into what was called Google AdWords at the time. It's now called Google Ads. And I was a, an internet user. I used Google every day, but I had no idea Google was an advertising company. It was totally new to me. And it fascinated me because there was this interesting balance between immediacy. You could launch a campaign and have clicks coming to your website, you know, in 10 minutes. It's like, that's incredible. Like where else could you get something like that? And there's a big, there's a, there's a, there's a real science to it also. Understanding keywords, understanding bids, understanding how the auction works, understanding the competitive nature of your specific industry or niche. So it was a game and it was an exciting game and it was fun. And I, I spent a long time reading everything I could, learning everything I could, finding every trick that I could. Um, and eventually I, I said, you know, maybe I'll teach people to make some more money on the side. Maybe I'll teach people what I've learned about Google ads. So that lasted for about 24 hours. Um, <laughs> Cause I made another website saying, Hey, I'll teach you how to do Google ads for like, you know, 800 bucks or something. And I, I, I suspected that people would rather me do it for them than teach them. So I switched, I took down that website and I made a new website uh, promoting services, management services. Like I'll manage your Google ads campaigns for you. And I started with, you know, friends, family. It's the same, it's the same advice I give out to uh, my students now who ask me how to get into the business. Uh, and I worked really hard. So even on, on, clients, so to speak, that um, 
fundamentally were was pro bono work. Um, pro bono is just a fancy term for saying I couldn't get paid, but I worked really hard. Like I did as good of a job as I could possibly do. And I spent as much time and effort and energy on those free accounts as I would spend now on, on any of our largest client accounts. And that provided some invaluable experience, some really good learning opportunities, a lot of failures, a lot of mistakes that I was able to learn from and slowly, but surely, you know, re uh, revamping the website um working on my own skills working on new right. client accounts i was able to sign a few more clients and i was working by myself at the time i didn't take it that seriously i worked very hard um that's just my nature but i didn't take it so seriously as like oh this is gonna be my career um i just liked it i liked it i and thought it was fun i thought it was interesting i was working for myself um but slowly but surely over time um it's i started taking it a little bit more seriously thinking hey maybe this could actually be a career when i when we when I hired my first like full time employee and then my second and I was like okay now I have real like legitimate responsibility people are relying on me, and um, it turned into like okay we're gonna have an agency and we've grown a lot over the years a big part of that growth as you know is is the content that we've created some of the courses, and those courses that were you know where I teach Google Ads um, I teach Facebook advertising I teach landing page um, optimization those courses have been a really healthy source of leads. Uh, for the agency too, especially over the first couple of years um, that those courses were released. And sort of it snowballed and we, we've grown steadily, but not aggressively over the last five, six years. My my focus has never been on growth at all costs. I've always been more of like, you know, interested in the work and interested in dealing with clients. Um, and we've grown naturally, organically. So that's where okay. we are. That's That's how I got into the business. So looking back at your experience and let's say a lot of our listeners are small marketing agencies and they're looking for ways to scale. But like you said, they're not expecting to go from 10 customers to 10,000. Just want to, you know, double, triple and so on and so forth. Would you say content marketing is the best strategy? Are you even utilizing Google ads for yourself? I think content marketing is a great strategy and especially for, uh, um, I don't really see how an agency let's say a digital advertising agency, someone like ourselves or an advertising agency could really, could really go far without some degree of content marketing. Now you have to define what content marketing is. Going to an event and giving a really good presentation and then networking over a beer afterwards, to me falls under the category of content marketing. Like mm -hmm. you've, you've created a piece of content and you've delivered it in a format that is live and in person, and, you know, you might call it event marketing, but okay, call whatever you want. But at the end of the day, what you've done is you've, you've created some, some, some piece of content that, that helps people understand your validity, your knowledge, your expertise, and how you might be able to help them. You've produced a desire for someone to work with you, and then you followed up. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's what I call content marketing. And I think it's very important in, the agency service world, because it's very driven by relationships. It's not driven by impulse. These aren't impulse purchases. So if, you know, if you're selling, you know, I don't know, here's like replica, replica guitar um, yeah. trinkets. So it's like an impulse purchase, right? You don't really need, it's like, I see it. Oh, that's interesting. That'll look good on my desk. I want it. How much does it cost? I could afford it. Okay, great. I'm going to buy it. Right, so that's it's a whole different type of thing. When somebody hires 
um, a service-based business or an agency, they they want to there's they want to feel like they really trust you that they understand your expertise, they understand that you've solved similar uh, problems before. So let's say case studies, for example. I'm a huge proponent of case studies. Now everyone has case studies, but most case studies online today are, are really poor, which is a good opportunity for anyone listening because it's not that difficult to create case studies hmm. that will actually work for you, that will actually market your business. So typically you'll see a case study, so you'll have a couple of big results and it's like, okay, click here to work with us. That's not a case study. To me, a case study is something which you're, 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 you clearly outline the struggle, the challenges in the account, what you had to overcome. If you made mistakes along the way, you, 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 you write about those. Then you explain how you overcame those mistakes. You explain if you overshot or you underachieved the client goal. Why? What did your team learn from this experience? You know, it's a, a good case study reveals the inside, the inside workings of your team, the inside mm -hmm. workings of your agency. That's right. what a good case study really does. So when we when we produce case studies on 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 our website, we we put a huge focus on being thorough, being clear, being transparent, being useful, and it's it's pretty often a client will tell us and when i when i ask a prospect of why they signed with us they'll say well we read this case study or that case study and it's like wow you really solved this similar problem for another company we're having the same challenges that content marketing is important i do think it's a great avenue but it has to be done right and it has to be done consistently the biggest reason why most content marketing programs fail is because brands stop doing it they try for a month, they put out a couple of case studies, they put out a blog post and they're like, okay, well, we're not, we haven't grown by, by 2X. So it, right. it must not be working. It's the type of thing that starts off very slow. It bears very little fruit, but over time you have a compound interest on your, on your, on your content. And you're investing, it's like yeah. a flywheel. You need, you need to have multiple things going. It has to be going consistently. You can't be discouraged. You have to really keep your eye on the prize and keep slogging through even when it seems like it's not working um, because that's how content marketing works. As far as your second question, we don't really leverage Google ads for ourselves, um, ironically, um, only because it doesn't tend to bring in the types of leads that we chosen to work with. Uh, we used to, and we, we used to bring in, we used to do Google ads pretty successfully uh, where we were signing smaller businesses, but our agency, like we've made a decision to have fewer clients but we wanted to work with larger businesses that have larger budgets. It, it's mm -hmm. the way our team is configured. It's the type of experts we're hiring. It, it's not true for every agency. And there's perfectly, there's perfectly fine, extremely, extremely successful agencies that are dealing with smaller budgets, smaller businesses that would be a perfect fit for Google ads campaign. Uh, but for us, it's not something that we typically leverage. Got it. So let me follow up on that question uh, in two ways. One is what would you define is you know a small the smallest budget you would recommend an agency to touch and i do think there is such a thing i don't think you know i don't think we should recommend people starting up in agencies to touch any budget especially where it comes to google ads where it has a lot of management maybe not so much margins like you have maybe on other things and what, what's your minimum what what wouldn't you back in the day when you got started what would you touch even though you got started when, back in the day, when I got started, there's nothing I wouldn't touch because I didn't turn down work. So if there was, and, and maybe that's wrong, maybe that's right. It's just how I did it. Right. Like if there was someone willing to pay me, I had to put food on the table. I took the business. 
Got um, over time, and 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 a lot of businesses are going to ultimately follow that same trajectory, right? Like before before that, I took any job that wouldn't pay me because I just wanted to get experience and I wanted to get you know a testimonial. I wanted to get a case study. I want I wanted to learn from mistakes. But I think a good general rule of thumb for let's say Google ads would be like ten fifteen thousand dollars a month. It still depends, right? There are still cases for maybe a very hyper-local business, a florist, a plumber, a power washing company, you know, mm -hmm. or it's a, 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 you know, a really, really boutique e-commerce joint selling something very specific, like, I don't know, high-end imported ink for fountain pens that you can't find on Amazon. So like, there might be cases where you could find search volume and you carve out a profitable campaign um, on, a, on a much smaller budget. Uh, but my, like, but, but I think a fair general rule of thumb is if a company is coming to you and saying, Hey, we have 500 bucks and wow, you're got, you know, we're, we're, we want to tap into the magic of, of Google advertising. It's like, it's not going to work in most cases because mm -hmm. there's a very, there's a big misconception while Google is the only, I mean, let's say there's Microsoft, but it's not as relevant. It's this highly luxurious advertising network because you could you could show your products to people at the time that they're searching for them. Like it doesn't exist anywhere. There's no such thing in advertising. It's wild right. and it's exciting. And I, and I only, and I'll, on top of that, I only pay when somebody comes into my store. I only pay when I get a click. I don't pay at all. If my ad is shown a million times and I don't get a click, I don't get a, a penny bill from Google. It's, it's, un, it's like an unbelievable pitch. Who wouldn't want to be in that game? And the, the double-edged sword is everyone's in that game. And, it's a live auction system similar to eBay. You know, like take eBay as an example. You can have any product in the world that you want. It's this unbelievable thing. Right. But there's other people who want those products and they're going to be bidding on those products based on their own paradigm of, of value. So translate that into Google. Your competitors are real businesses that have well-oiled machines that have, they, they understand how to extract more revenue over the course of the lifetime of a customer. And they're, they're not going to roll over and just let you win. They're going to be bidding as aggressively as they possibly can. There's a misconception that Google is this great equalizer, that it levels the playing field. It's totally mm -hmm. not true. Nothing could be further mm -hmm. from the truth. It absolutely does not level the playing field. It, it still favors a meritocracy of better, more efficient, more profitable businesses. Because the more profitable your business is, the larger your brand is, the more ways you're figuring out of, of pulling every penny of revenue. It's a it's a one hundred thousand percent capitalistic structure at its core, because if you if 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 a business, it's a it's a fair system, it's a fair auction, but it's not a level playing field. If your business is worse, if you're not extracting as much revenue, if your website isn't designed well enough, where your conversion rate is as high or better than competitors, then you're not going to be able to afford a higher cost per click. Right. The other four, five, six competitors in the auction can afford a higher cost per click because their business logistics are more efficient and therefore you're going to be pushed out of the auction. And when we're so, talking about, you know, sm smaller local businesses like, uh, you know, a divorce attorney in Atlanta. And obviously there are other divorce attorneys that are advertising on Google at the same time, but it's not, you know, huge budgets, national companies that have a very sophisticated marketing team. It's still small attorney companies, local companies, maybe two branches. Uh, is it is it still that aggressive? Is the bid somehow influenced by the national maybe campaigns? Uh, how does that work? In fact, sometimes we find the most aggressive 
highest cost campaigns are local campaigns because it's a it's a much more it's a tougher fight there's less that's more scarce when you're a if you're a divorce attorney in atlanta let's say forget a, a divorce attorney let's say you're a mesothelioma attorney in atlanta um these some of these clicks are, are well over a thousand dollars a click wow. in highly localized areas because a mesothelioma case could land a, a, a law firm a million dollars in profit if they close them and there's not only one mesothelioma lawyer in Dallas or Atlanta, there's going to be a handful. And there's only three or four ads on the page that are relevant. It's like the top three ads, like they get the lion's share of the clicks. So as long as there's more than three people or, th or two other competitors besides for you, and there almost always will be bidding on terms that you want to bid on, it could get even more aggressive and more ruthless in a smaller market because those other competitors um, are living and dying to a greater extent, so to speak, on each impression. Hmm. So it kind of creates uh, a, again a double-edged sword, where you're saying, "Okay, I'm a local. I'm a local agency. My competitive edge is by the fact that I am local, and I can create a local rapport with the local business owners. But then when I come and work with them, I'm stuck in a situation where I actually need more budget than I would if I was working with them on a national level." might not necessarily be more budget like typically your your budget will expand when you're expanding geographically just in the basis of there being more search volume to capture yeah but it doesn't necessarily mean the campaigns will be more profitable like your returns might not necessarily go up a lot yeah, of it, a lot of uh, you know it's very common for national or international businesses to be, to launch a campaign in one market we're working with a company now a large um a large sports betting uh, company that's launching in the U.S. They're 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 big overseas. They're launching in the U.S. and they're starting just in Colorado. It happens to be that sports betting is not legal in every state in the U.S. yet, but it's legal in, in I don't know ten or fifteen states. But they're launching just in Colorado because it's a test market. They want to sort of see the results and learn um, what their KPI should be and build a playbook that could be used to expand to the rest of the market. So it's it's very common for a national company to start off. Um, in a specific zip code or a specific state or a specific geography. Got it. So, okay. So going back to the small businesses, we're still stuck in a situation where you're saying, uh, okay, I, I, where you're saying it, it could be, you know, your ROI might not be as, as good because of the high competition taking up the price per click. Uh, but you have no, you really have no choice as uh, most local agencies do go after local businesses. And in right. that space, you're saying, okay, 10,000 to 15,000. What about, you know, a lot of the agencies we work with that I know are taking, you know, the two to $5,000 budgets uh, with uh, 15 to 20% kind of management fees, um, excuse me, not management fees, profit margins on top of management fees. Uh, the day, you know, 15% management fees, let's say and another 15 to 20% on top of that, they get to 30, 35% of budget in fees taken from the client on two to five thousand dollar campaigns. Have you been through that trenches of, of doing those type of campaigns? Yeah. <clears throat> There's a few things there. So this gets more into like different structures for billing clients. I always stay away from anything profit oriented because profit is a really tough thing to to get a handle on. Again, it depends on the business. So if you have a business that really sells one profit, one, one product or one service, 
and it's very clear what the profit margin is. So then it's like, okay, you're, it's the same, you're really just taking a cut of revenue, right? So for example, I don't know, let's say you have a dentist and the dentist says, okay, we get, you know, $5,000, um, we, we, for, per patient, but our profits only a thousand dollars on every patient. So we'll give you 10%. We'll give you a hundred dollars per patient. This podcast is brought to you by umbrella. Have an agency check out umbrella us.com to grow it today. So that doesn't like, so then mathematically you could look at that either as a percentage of profit or a percentage of revenue. doesn't make a difference because it's like a very standard agreed upon profit. Once you get into like more complex, complex businesses and they want to, they want to, they go to the agency, will give you a percentage of profit, but like, okay, well, how are you calculating profit? Is there, are there investor dividends? Is there overhead? Am I, am, right. does profit get calculated based on rent and hiring on, on members draw? It's like, it's a mess. So there's, I, there's, we, yeah, we, I, very, we very right. frequently will, will, will charge a retainer fee plus a bonus model where we'll say if, you know, if we exceed targets on sales or we exceed targets on revenue or we, or we exceed targets on return on ad spend on ROI, we start earning bonuses based on those benchmarks. Um, but we're, we've rarely only once or twice have we done it where we've charge no retainer fee at all, like no management fee and just have done a percentage of sales. And in those cases, it's worked out because like we sort of scoped out the product and the, and the project and, um, and we felt relatively confident that it would work out well. And then there's a separate angle of just taking equity in the business. So there's, there are times with our clients where whatever the reason was, it made the most sense to go to the client and the client came to us and say like, look, we don't have cash to pay you, but we'll give you equity in the business. And we've done that. And again, it's on a, on a case-by-case basis where we feel strongly enough about the company and about the brand that we were excited about having an equity position. Okay. And, and what about, you know, what about the structure, which is, is what I, uh, thank you for the answer. It gave it, you know, it opened, it opened my question, but what I meant initially was a lot of the agencies we work with, they look at their cost is about fifteen uh, percent uh, 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 uh. out of budget. Let's say the budget is five thousand dollars a month. That's it. Yeah. So they're saying, okay, our cost is fifteen percent. We want twenty percent profit. It's thirty percent. We're going to charge thirty-five percent out of the five thousand dollars is going to go to me to my to my agency. Yeah. So I'm going to charge like sixteen hundred dollars. I'm going to keep out of the five thousand dollar budget. That's my structure. So. Again, I think it's getting, I think that type of thing gets, could get very messy. So it used to, let's say you go back to the, to the agency world in the fifties and the sixties, Madison Avenue, mm-hmm. they used to, they used to just charge a commission on media, 15% of media. So if American Express was spending a billion dollars a year with Ogilvy, then Ogilvy was charging $150 million. It didn't matter what Ogilvy's staffing costs were. This is why these advertising icons got so rich and made so much money because as long as they had a good relationship with the advertiser, the advertiser would continue spending money and they charge a 15%, they, they, they earned a 15% commission. Right. That changed. A lot of that changed where procurement departments at these advertisers started looking at these, these numbers and said, you guys are making way too much money. Instead, we'll charge you a fit. We'll pay you 15% on top of what it costs you to service the account. So now instead of earning $150 million, 
right? If, if Ogilvy had four people earning an average of $50,000 a year, that's, that's a $200,000 cost, right? They're now earning whatever, $40,000, $50,000, yeah. right? So they're going to earn 50 grand instead of 150 million. And like these things were actually happening. Um, so, but here's the point, like over there, like there's nothing wrong with doing a, what, what's called cost plus. So you go to a, a company says, here's my budget, you know, 10 grand, and we're going to run here, there, and whatever. And we need you to have a graphic design team. Okay, so the agency puts together our cost. It's going to cost us in overhead, you know, $5,000 a month to service the account. So we want $750 um, uh, profit on top of right. whatever, you know, it's going to, so it's like, that's fine, but then you have to be very open and very clear with your books, right? Like that's, you have, cause the, the, in order for the, in order for you to charge a cost plus basis, you have to be able, you have to be able to prove and, and substantiate your claim to what it's costing you. Now this gets very tricky in the types of agencies that you're talking about, which is like, we're, you know, we're taking on clients spending $2,000, $5,000 a month. I think it's almost impossible because- Yeah, no, they, they simplify it. They just say, look, this is my cost, you know, take it or leave it. Uh, kind of that situation, less, you know, an open, open eye into the uh, books that they're running. Right, so that's, so that's sort of what we do now. We have what we call just, it's called a minimum retainer. So mm. we'll say, look, we're not, we don't, put together a team and bring on a new account unless we're earning, unless we're able to bill $4,000, $5,000 a month in management fees as a base retainer, right? So if your budget is $5,000, it doesn't matter. Like we're still going to charge you $5,000. And we tell clients it doesn't make sense to hire us if your budget's $5,000. What we've done is we have a, a network of partners that are freelancers, smaller agencies. They're just, they're configured in a way to offer smaller services that it, that's, that's not as expensive. When we hire an account, when we bring on a new account, the way we assemble our teams with contractors, with our in-house strategists, it just ends up costing us more where it doesn't make sense for us to bring on a client for less than, let's say a $4,000, $5,000 a month retainer fee. Because right. otherwise we're not, we're not making money. Uh, and we're very transparent about that with our prospects. And we say, look, like we're probably not the best. You're, it's probably an overkill for what you need right now. You, what you need is a, just a very talented freelancer or a small agency that could give the attention that you need without bringing together the whole team and a strategist and a market research thing. And, and, and these other pieces that are more relevant to larger businesses that have more, you know, dynamic campaigns. Right. Right. So uh, I, I know you, you, Adventure is working with a lot of type, with a lot of type of niches. Like uh, I think I read on your site, 75 unique industries. Do you find, or do you have tips to recommend our listeners about the best, the best niches to go after? If there is such a thing where it comes to local businesses. When it comes to local businesses specifically? Yes. I would imagine that uh, 99%, at least those who are running through our platform is mm, almost all local. Okay. So I think the best, one of the best um, local verticals would be education. Hmm. Uh, it's one of my favorite on a local and national level. So schools, and most schools today actually are a hybrid of local and national advertising. One, because they're trying to, they try to attract students from abroad and from throughout the country, but also because they have online programs. But generally speaking, higher education is just flush with cash, right? They have more money than, than they know what to do with. Their marketing departments are a mess, they're ancient. And if you could, if you could, if you could deliver a pitch that says, look, we're going to do, we're going to do performance marketing. Performance marketing means that 
we're going to be held accountable for results. You want more admissions forms. We have the tools to advertise online to specific people, the types of people you want to, to you know, submit requests for enrollment forms. And it's going to be performance-based. We're going to understand how many leads and forms and enrollments we're anticipating based on any given budget. We'll discuss all of that. So, you, you know, but I think higher education is great um, awesome. at, a local, at a local level. Okay. Uh, now, let's say our agencies do want to build, you know, a quick campaign on Google to attract leads for their agency. Like mm -hmm. you said, you used to do, you're not doing anymore, but mm -hmm. let's say, you know, they're okay with a two to $5,000 budget. They're okay with the smaller budget, local campaigns. Mm -hmm. You know, can, can, can you kind of structure for us, what should they do uh, in the campaign? Kind of big buckets. Yeah. So you want to start with, the, you want to start with that bottom, those bottom funnel searches. Uh, so if you're a Google ads specialist or a Google ads agency, you want to be targeting people looking for Google ads companies, Google ads specialists, Google ads agencies, Google ads freelancers, things like that. Um, and then the same thing goes for PPC, pay-per-click, or even advertise, digital advertising help, digital advertising agency. Now, the main thing to realize is that these clicks are expensive. These are competitive, expensive clicks. You could be expecting to pay 50 to $80 a click, right? Mm. So, so now you have a serious question. How many of those clicks are going to turn into a lead? And how many of those leads are you going to turn into a client? So you have to run the math to see if, look, even in any realm, this could back out for you. Now, you're never going to evaluate this based on the first month's management fee. You have to say, okay, if I retain my client for a year, because that's how you're, the reason why these clicks are expensive is because your competitors are looking at it that way. It goes back to some of our, the, earlier in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so if you're charging five, you know, if you're charging $500 a, a month, let's say, or let's say you just say $1,000 a month, that's your, that's your retainer fee. So your revenue from a client, if you retain them for a year is $12,000. Now, what, what are you taking home? Like, what are you putting in your pocket out of that $12,000? Is your margin 50%? Is it, you know, 75%? Like what's your, what 25%? What's your margin? So if you're, if you're, you know, $12,000, let's say 25% is profit, $3,000 uh, $3, um, is going into your pocket. So $3,000. So $3,000 is your break-even point to sign a client. Now, I would recommend just be willing to spend up to $3,000 to sign a client then, right? So now you could get into the game a little bit. So if you're spending $500 a click, you know, maybe 10, you know, maybe, maybe one in 10 submits a form, maybe if your website's really good. Like if your website's really good, you have good case studies, you have good content, you're making your pitch strongly and clearly, right? Let's, let's just say one in 10. So now you've spent $500 on a lead. Let's say you close one in four leads into a paying client at $1,000. So now you spent $2,000 to attract a new client. If you retain right. a client for a year, you've earned $1,000 in profit. Now, all of that math is a little cold and it's not very exciting. But what I think agencies have to understand is that there's like, there's just a snowball effect and ripple effect of getting clients, learning that you're just not going to anticipate. It's, it's never, it never works with the mathematical computation that, that you use to benchmark a project or benchmark an initiative. You get more clients, whether you're break even, you lose some money, it's good to have clients, you get referrals, you start learning, you get better at what you do, new doors open up to you. All these different things that, you'll, that you would never expect are going to happen yeah. if you're willing to, to 
do something consistently, even if it doesn't seem very exciting, because to run a Google ads campaign with those numbers, right, to generate $1,000 over the course of a year is not exciting. Although I would say go into it with all your heart. I would be the first person to recommend uh, someone do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get it. But uh, are, you using, are you using numbers that uh, you remember also from your experience or are you just throwing out, you know? No, they, these clicks just... will absolutely cost $50 to $80 a click. If you're, ah. if, yeah, and that, and that was a couple of years ago. Okay. So, probably be more now. So actually, if the same agency has 50% profit margins, they'll actually be making $4,000 in that example, which sounds a bit better. Uh, but yeah. still, you're saying in any case, it's a ripple effect, and I completely agree with you. Once you start growing your agency, doing more content, doing more initiatives, talking with more people, getting more referrals, it has some sort of black mojo uh, associated right. with it that helps push everything up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so for agencies, a lot of our agencies do a lot of things outside advertising, you know, reputation management, content marketing, SEO, these kind of things. Uh, you're basically saying, okay, do you have any tool to recommend for them to choose the right words? Would you say to somebody who is not a Google expert, but has an agency, do your own Google advertising or hire another small agency to do it for you? I mean... Unlike, I mean, unfortunately, like a lot of my answers, it depends, you know, like if, <laughs> if the person is savvy enough and could, I would recommend just doing it on your own. If you're having a small agency and, and no one's going to care about your money as much as you do. So if you could do it on your own and you feel like you could do it competently, it's not rocket science to figure out or to at least give it a test, um, then, then do it, then do it on your own for sure. If it's, if you're looking at Google ads and the stuff seems totally foreign and overwhelming, then yeah, hire someone to, to, to test it for you. Again, it's not going to work for everybody. It doesn't work for everybody. Um, like I said, it's not it's not a it's not a great equalizer. It's not an equal playing field. Half of my half of my time dealing with prospects, I'm telling them that like you should not be advertising on Google. It's not going to work. There's a reason why it hasn't worked. And they come to us, look at our campaign. It's like, yeah, this campaign's not that bad. Your business is bad. You know, there's like there's 20 things you need to do to make your business more efficient and your website better and your experience right. uh, more customer centric. And the reason why you're getting knocked out of auctions and you're not converting isn't because of your last agency or your Google ads campaign structure. It's because at the end of the day, you're selling to people and Google's technology is being leveraged by smart people ruthlessly pursuing business excellence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that's scary, but it's true. And, 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 and thank you for that. Um, okay. You know, when you, when you look at Google advertising, you look at Facebook ad, advertising, kind of the diopoly, and uh, we're almost done, by the way. I know uh, we're, we're limited on time. Where do you see that going in five years? Do you think we're going to see just more of the same, or is, are we expecting some sort of dramatic shift in advertising? I, I think both. I think over the next five years, you'll see a, a, a further concentration um, into Google and Facebook and Amazon, if you if you want to bring Amazon in, because Amazon is is a, is a huge um, piece of that of that puzzle. Um, maybe it's a triopoly, but certainly with Google and Facebook, we're going to continue to see more and more advertising dollars, especially over the next five years. It's it's, it's hard for me to imagine anything changing that. It's just so powerful, it's so effective. But I think with the changing sentiments around privacy and around tracking and all of this dialogue, conversation, conflict, mm -hmm. and tension, we're, what I expect is we're gonna fall back more on contextual advertising. Whereas we're doing less of this type of thing where we're saying based on your browsing activity, your credit card data, you know, it's like more 
based on what information you're consuming now and where you are now at the time of the ad impression. I think that's going to be a, a bigger drive. And I think agencies are going to have to bring more insight to the table. Right now, an agency could say, okay, I'm going to plug into a demand side platform. I'm going to plug into a tech company. I'm going to throw in some keywords. And like, it's very little insight. But I think agencies are going to start having to understand who these customers really are. Why are they reading this article on the Wall Street Journal? Why are they reading Architectural Digest? What is it about right. them? What do they like? What are their life experiences? Why does this product or this service matter? And I think that's going to become more of a differentiating factor between successful agencies and unsuccessful agencies over the next five years, because we're not going to have as much of this first party or third party cookie based individualized tracking to rely on. So it's going to go, go back basically to more psychological old school type of uh, marketing. Like it was before yeah. we had all that data streamed into us. Okay, that's what I cool. <clears throat> Great. So uh, thank you very much and for, for, the, for that answer. And I think a lot of people are looking forward to it, by the way. I know I am uh, going back to being more creative and analyzing and less data. It, yeah. it actually depends who you're talking with. Uh, our last portion of this discussion is a rapid Q&A. I'm okay. going to ask you a few quick questions. I need fast answers. The questions are in no way edgy, but if you feel uncomfortable with any of them, just say pass. Okay. Okay. Uh, did you get along uh, with your parents growing up? Um, sometimes. <laughs> Do you have siblings? Yes. Do you have a pet? No. Do you have kids? Yes. How old were you when your first kid was born? 28. When do you wake up? 4.30. When do you go to bed? Between 10 and 12. Ideal vacation? Being home with my wife and kids out of the house. Being home with my wife and kids out of the house. That's, that's a brain twister. Are you a man of faith? Yes. Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Isaac, I know you are putting a lot of content uh, out there. Do you want the listeners to go to a specific URL maybe to kind of listen to your stuff, learn from you? I know you have a lot of great content. Is there something specific you want to mention? Um, we have a new podcast ourselves called the How to Hide a Dead Body podcast. You can, you can find it on Spotify, on Apple Music, uh, not Apple Music, Apple Podcasts. Um, but if you just to keep track of the content that we're doing is you can go to our site, adventureppc.com. But I would also highly recommend checking out a book we recently published um, called Join or Die, Digital Advertising in the Age of Automation, written by Patrick Gilbert, our COO. And it's a really thorough masterclass on all the strategies um, that we leverage for our clients. It's available on Amazon in paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. And um, it's a great read. I mean, I wrote the foreword, so if you do. Don't want to read the, the whole book. You just want to read the forward. It's worth it to buy just for the forward. Hey, can you say the name again? Join or Die, Digital Advertising in the Age of Automation. Okay, guys, go and find it on Amazon. So Alex, uh, Isaac, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Thank you very, very much for all, all your uh, answers today. I really appreciate it. You've been wonderful. And, uh, and thank you for being with us. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we provide the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. 
Your host has been Inamar Shafir, founder and CEO of Umbrella, the technology platform and brand that is powering thousands of marketing agencies around the country. Find him at UmbrellaUS.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.